When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Game of Thrones 2 Electric Bookaloo. This is the episode where Anthony is a little bit nasally because he's under the weather. Nothing pandemic related, just your garden variety flu. It's kind of a bummer of a week to get the flu because here's what I had planned for this week. On the schedule, it was Battle of the Bastards, my favorite episode. So I'm going to want to devote an extra long time to Battle of the Bastards. And then the final Ned POV chapter. So, of course, I'm going to want to devote a lot of time to that, too. So I broke it up into two different pods. This pod is Battle of the Bastards. And then Chad will join me on Thursday as we cover Ned's swan song. Without further ado, here is comic Steve Osborne. What would be a movie that you loved the first time around and then... Upon second viewing, you thought, eh, I, I'm not sure if this one holds up. Um, wow, it's a good one. I mean, there's... Besides there's weird bunch. science. Yeah, weird science does not. Not real close. Uh, I mean, it's it, if it didn't have nostalgia, that's a... It's not, it's not, it's not, not a good one. Um, I could probably say with, I mean, a few of those Hughes movies, like... Like I like Ferris Bueller, um, but you realize he's a just a terrible person. Well, sure, yeah. I mean, most of the people in Game of Thrones are terrible people too. Yeah, still, still enjoying the rewatch for sure. Yeah, I watched Cliffhanger. <laughs> Did you? Oh, really? Yeah, I rewatched Cliffhanger the other day with uh, Sly. Sly and Lithgow. <laughs> it doesn't hold up, huh? Um. <laughs> well, now I have to remember if I like we saw that together. We, we? saw it together, yeah, and I don't, it, I don't, I don't think, think either that we one were of us praising it. No, that. I don't think we walked away from that thing going, "Well, there is finally someone did avalanches on screen, right?" <laughs> uh, I was thinking that uh, Inception for me. Oh, okay. Because I remember thinking, I lo- in fact, I walked out of Inception thinking that's one of the best movies I've ever seen. Right. Right. And then, upon second viewing, I thought, I, I honestly, I got a little bored. I was thinking, like, man, there's just a lot of like chase scenes in the rain, I, I, a lot of gunfire that I don't think really means anything. Yeah. Uh, and then I thought, well, maybe, maybe I have a problem with Christopher Nolan because I think this is lo- not the first time you've run into this situation with Christopher. Yeah, Nolan. that's right. So it's like second viewing Nolan. I, I love Nolan the first time, and then second viewing, not a huge fan. Yeah, I. I so interesting you brought that up because we've talked about the Dark Knight, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, 
and I and I rewatched it the other or a little while ago. Like I just I just I just turned it on. It was on in a hotel. This is back when you know like a while back, and I, and I turned on the ho- the TV and and Dark Knight was on. I'm like, oh, I should enjoy this, and I'm like, well, this is a bit of clunk. <laughs> and then and then Heath Ledger shows up, and you're like, oh hell yeah. Well, and then, yeah, he, and then he leaves the scene, and you're like, huh. <laughs> I wonder if that's the sort of movie that you really want to start from the beginning because once they they basically introduced that movie by introducing the joker yeah and then i think that's a great hook and i think you you hang around because oh i gotta see the next time right the joker's on screen yeah yeah you and i noticed those it seems like when you're when you're like oh you tell someone they gotta see it after the first viewing and then yeah. they, and then someone sees it and they're like, ah, I don't think it's all that great. And then you're like, no. And then you rewatch it and you're like, oh man. I gotta, I gotta well, rain. I told you unabashedly that Battle of the Bastards is oh, my yeah. favorite. All right. And so you did a rewatch. I did. Now there's always the risk with the rewatch that you're going to be let down. Oh yeah. I'm never let down. I am. Really? I always walk away. I mean, I would put Battle of the Bastards up against anything I saw in Braveheart or Gladiator or Return of the King. Gotcha. I mean, that what they did with that, you know, northern battle at Winterfell mm-hmm. was as good as anything I've seen of that type. So we've had this conversation about battle fatigue. Yeah. And, did you get a little uh, battle fatigue? Well, so let me let me let me go through this thought. Like, so we talked about this, I think, in the early going, right? And we talked sure. about the, the original siege, and I was like, "Oh, there's some things I didn't expect." And then, then we get to the the battle at the wall, and it's like, "Well, the big old arrow was pretty cool." And, <laughs> and then hard home, hard home was yeah, sort of like and then hard and zombies so, versus a giant, right? Yeah, and so so you so like every time I'm prepping for like this will be the moment that the battle fatigue sets in, they, they, they do something real like clever. And I'm like, what, how are you doing this? Because I mean, by the time I got to return of the King and Lord of the Rings, I was like, Ugh. honestly, I was, to me, that was, I was so worn out. So, so seeing this, so seeing this one, I'm like, what are you, what are you going to do? Like, that's my thought. Like, I'm like, Ugh. cause I start, I mean, this is all battle, right? You had two battles, uh, one with dragons, um you know and and one not. yeah you could have i mean either one of these things could have been its own episode ender you know mm-hmm. right and so i'm 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 starting this thing off with with a battle and ships which you know i'll be honest i don't see a lot of that right you don't get as much of that uh cinematically yeah um, you know unless you're you and you're like your boat fetish or whatever you probably went and saw them like you probably really like striking distance with uh bruce willis even though it's a sm- i'll tell you what boats. man if it's about battles, you got to give me a submarine in there. Uh, that's good. You got to mix in a submarine. I don't care if it's a medieval submarine or whatever. But I, I'm gonna what about a, a battle in a submarine like under siege? Yeah, I could get anything with a submarine. Will will do it for me. Okay. So yeah. So you, so you're and testing- to me, spaceships is just submarines in space. And that's fair. That's fair. So you got you got dragons in battle, and, and so I was already like you're going to have to really uh, impress me because uh, cause, you know, I'm kind of Luke. I, I, I'm on the fence with dragons and getting warmer. 
Uh, I really liked it. I really liked the dragons. I love when the two other dragons come out. Oh, who would have thought that I would have been like, ooh, more dragons? Yes, please. Um, <laughs> There's three of them? I couldn't yeah. even I, I knew that there was more than one. So that was a big deal. And then, uh, and then now, yeah, then we get into, uh, we get into the North and, uh, I was really impressed. I was, I mean that the, especially the little, the trash compactor scene. (laughs) All right. We'll get, we'll get to the trash compactor scene. However, I, I do want to call out, I think that, I think my general rule with this podcast has been downplay the things that i think you'll like because i think i don't i don't want to ruin it for you right. and maybe sort of after the fact upplay the things that you don't like so that maybe in retrospect you'll like them a little bit more right right yeah, that makes sense unless it had to do with like children and then i'm just going to ruin everything for you right and then you know that i'm going to be like if depending on the child i'll be rooting for it <laughs> this one i was like Steve, it's my favorite episode. I'm not even worried that you won't like it. I'm not even worried that I'm going to build you up for it. There's no way that you can be too built up for this. So I took a little risk there. So I guess the question is, did you have high expectations going in? And did that affect the way you viewed it? Um, So I went in there with, uh, you know, hey, this is... um... This is Anthony's favorite episode. Let's see what you got. And so I, I didn't go in there. I, so that's that's how I went in there. I didn't go in there going, Steve, this is going to be, this could be the best episode you've seen. I well, you could have been thinking like, oh, this is going to be all about Hodor. <laughs> Hodor time traveling. Hodor time traveling on a ship. It's basically <laughs> time bandits. Why, do they, why don't they call them space submarines? They call them spaceships. <laughs> but they're a lot more like a submarine up there. Because they're under space? Is that what you think? <laughs> They should be called over Marines. Oh. Uber Marines. <laughs> sure. All right. So sorry, continue. Um, so I I was pretty eyes wide open. Um, I was prepared to be in, I was preparing to be impressed. It's an episode nine, so I already know that there's sure. something of um something of, of major consequence will take place. Um I know that it's John versus Ramsey. I, I it's interesting because they because so I was like, I, the beauty of Game of Thrones is logically I'd say I don't fear for Jon Snow's life because he just died, <laughs> you know, because you don't think that they're going to kill him again, or because you think he he's sort of something of an immortal. Um, I don't know that I don't feel like he's immortal. I also feel like I don't think you're going to go give me two back-to-back seasons of feeling bad or, or feeling upset that Jon Snow died. Sure, I, feel like, yeah, yeah. I feel like you can do it to me later, but it would, it would feel a little, um, a little haphazard to, to go, well, we know what worked last season. Let's just do that again. Um, so that didn't mean that I necessarily thought that he was – gonna win um it just i just felt like that that was off the table right um yeah the one thing that this show's taught you is that the good guys don't always win and it's well so I the guess, idea being that, that if john loses to yeah, ramsey yeah. 
he doesn't have to die. In fact, Ramsey might prefer it if he didn't. So there is that other element, right? Where it's like, like having having Ramsey be the the uh, like he could easily capture John, and then now we get he turn him into Reek too. Yeah. Um, so that's so that's sort of so. There's a lot of all these things. So so yeah, the expectations were high. One because it was a, a, an episode nine, and and also because you sort of you 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 doubled down and were like, I don't even care that I'm uh, raising the bar. Yeah. Um, that isn't to say that I didn't have some issues. I had some issues with the episode, just some questions, some concerns. Um, wow. But overall, I mean, as far as battle the things go, they, my watch, uh, my Apple watch at one point said it'd be a good time to take some deep breaths. So apparently my, uh, my heart rate was going <laughs> an, uh, up a little bit. So that was, that was a pretty cool sign that, that it was working. Let's deal with your issues. I'm, I'm fascinated to hear, but cause I feel like the episode was all but perfect. So I, I'm really curious to hear your, you know, your nitpicks. Well, my, my, my first question is, is so Sansa, you're just, you're not even, you're not even going to mention, Hey, if you wait, I'm, I might be getting an army. I mean, she, she sent them out to all die by saying nothing. And I feel like that was a little that that seems problematic to me. It's it's questionable at at best, right? I mean, uh, especially mm. because there, she was in there during the strategy conversation. We've already had um, sort of this like, hey, you shouldn't go. We don't have enough people. It's not like that hasn't been discussed. And he was like, yeah, I got to do it. I just got to go for it. And like, she just she never mentions it. And I think that that seems that didn't. Like either it creates a problem for me. One problem is either it becomes a dramatic effect thing. Here they come riding in and you're like, yeah, but she didn't just reach out. <laughs> She'd already done this and she was waiting to find out, I guess. And so, and then she was gone uh, presumably to go meet them. Um, so why is is she is she not a good person <laughs> you know is well, she like, oh, oh that's interesting all right so i think i may have a couple answers for this but let's go through the litany of this first so were there other issues about this there was what was it i had another oh and then so they just the other part is like so all of a sudden we get one one pounding on the door and all the archers are inside what were the archers up above not like recognize like all of a sudden the the hand comes through and it surprises everybody but there were people like on lookout and they didn't seem to like like oh dude they're right here (laughs) i don't know yeah he does kind of uh ramsey basically thinks they have no more people like they don't have enough people all we have to do is stay in the in the doors inside They don't even have enough people for a siege. And it's like, as soon as he says that, like it's, it's, it's literally one second afterwards that you start hearing the, the huge pounding. Right. Right. And that's where I was like, well, and then everybody seems to be like, Whoa, like they didn't have a chance to like start just like the, the, the top arrow dudes mm-hmm. couldn't have just taken out at least a few of these guys. You know, it just seemed like they were just like, well, we didn't see this coming. It's like, well, where were you? <laughs> we were right there. Like literally right there. Yeah, job. I hadn't thought about that part. That actually has a a couple problems. You, you're right about that one for sure. I thought you were gonna say, "Why doesn't Bran do something besides running a straight line?" <laughs> oh, Rickon. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Why yeah, doesn't, I, oh, why that doesn't was Ricky for want? Sure. 
for <laughs> sure was like, I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Just zig one. Like as soon as you I mean, I don't know if you can hear him let go of the arrow, but I feel like now's a good time to just cut left. <laughs> I think Ricky Walnuts sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's learned a lot from squirrels. <laughs> And if you like study squirrels, they don't do a whole lot of serpentine motion. Got it. All right. They run up trees. He, he's got no trees to run True. up. True. Uh, they will run right in front of your car. So I don't, yeah. I'm, I'm not another, sure that he's. <laughs> I think another thing the show did well, and whether they intended to or not, um, was uh, when he dies. It's kind of like, yeah, okay. Because <laughs> I, I feel like even the show is like, yeah, we really haven't. I mean, you you are upset in the sense that you know this upsets Jon Snow. You are not upset because you're like, oh, no, not Rickon. Yeah, no, I think you're, you're certainly I think, right. I, I, in fact, you called that earlier. You thought, okay, he's back. I don't really care about him except for what he's how he's used as a plot device. Right, and I and Which I feel is like exactly they, what they did, right? And I feel like the show was was wise to not try to play that up, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And mm-hmm. I, and I feel like you know that for whatever reason they just said, look, this is he's a, he's kind of going to be a spoil. It's just going to be it's going to happen, and it's and it's what he what that the cascading events from there. That's where the issue is. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's go back to the Sansa thing because I think. There's a couple of things we don't know. So first off, during the war council, does she know that Littlefinger is on his way up? She knows she re- she knows she reached out. That's she knows sure. she reached out, but is she? I mean, she's reached out to a few people and they've they've turned her down. Right. So I'm not sure how much she knows. It could be that like. She doesn't know until Littlefinger actually shows up that he's actually going to show up. But where was she <laughs> during that, right? Well, yeah. I mean, the, she shows up with Littlefinger. I don't know. See, that's the thing I don't know. So assume, let's assume that you're right and that she has some knowledge that Littlefinger is going to show up. I don't get the sense that her opinion really holds a lot of sway in the war room. You know what I mean? And I think I, maybe John, she's I think thinking John gave like, her that. I think John gave her that. I gave her the opportunity. Yeah, I think I think there's a little bit of her that thinks, look, you're not taking my advice. And so I'm not so I've got a little something to play. I have a card up my sleeve, and I'm gonna show you that I've got some power in this relationship. So I think that she actually to, to his to his potential peril, peril. I mean, is that the you can't you can't mm-hmm. say I told you so to a corpse, and that's the issue I have. She doesn't know that Jon Snow is this just you know he's Action Jackson, right? I mean she she shows up. I mean she could have shown up, and it's just uh, it, it body just wildlings and Jon Snow's corpses everywhere mm-hmm. like that. I mean that yeah, was yeah. I guess the point is that. I don't think she, I think she, at this point in the show, her loyalty is to herself and to Winterfell. And I do think that she plays John in a way. I think that, I think that that's kind of a reveal at the end of the episode is that 
she didn't reveal everything she knew to John and maybe because she doesn't trust John or she only trusts herself or whatever it is. But it seems like that's certainly going to be a source of tension in, in this kind of new alliance between the two. Yeah. And I guess that's where I get a little bit like a a little weirded out. I'm like, we're talking alliances. This is, I mean, this is her brother, you Eh, know, eh, half brother, bastard sure only family she's got that she's aware of right now he says i'm gonna protect you and her reply is no one can protect me no one can protect anyone and i think what she's trying to say is hey your intentions are nice but i'm gonna do what i think is going to bring about my own survival and my own agenda and it may or may not involve you Maybe yeah, I'm reading I, too much into that. Well, and that's and I think part of this is complicated by the fact that I feel like we haven't had a great um, a, a great read on Sansa, and I don't know if that's intentional or not. And because we, we've talked about like, is this a problem with the way that the showrunners have presented her with mm. all these different ups and downs and stops sure. and starts, or is this is this part of who she is? And I and I, because I don't have a real clear understanding of that it makes it like, I don't know, like Sansa already is like so hard to track. Um, and I don't know if that, and if it's, and if that's by design, then it's effective because it's, it's making, it, it vexes me, but it also keeps me at arm's length from her character. Mm-hmm. Um, I like, I, it's the point where I'm not sure that I trust Sansa and, um, and maybe that's okay. Maybe that's, an, maybe that's part of it, but I do feel like, like I, where everybody else, I feel, I feel like you've complicated some of these issues with them, but I kind of know where I stand. But Sansa's like, I'm like, is she, is she, does she have agency? Does she not have agency? Mm-hmm. I was going to um, get to this at the end, but I think it's probably worth pointing out now is that the way that this episode ends leaves a really, oh, the smile, odd complication for Jon Snow in that. Okay, first off, who's in charge of Winterfell? Because Ricky oh, yeah. Walnuts is gone. Is it's, it going to be John or is it going to be Sansa? Well, and that, so that's, yeah, I walked away from this going, oh, this episode is a big, uh, to me, this episode spells uh, the end of Tommen. Hmm. So, okay, that, that's good. But let me, let me round out what I was going to say before. So, so John's put in an interesting predicament because John maybe wouldn't have made an alliance with Littlefinger. Right. I don't, I don't know. I think now John is beholden to Mel and Littlefinger because they both saved him. Right. And neither of these characters are necessarily good characters. And neither of these characters are characters that John would have chosen an alliance with. Right. People have chosen him for him. And so John is in this odd predicament where he's kind of a leader. I mean, he certainly is a battlefield leader, but the question is, is he going to feel beholden to Littlefinger and mel or how is he going to navigate that uh, alliance that he kind of fell backwards into well and so much of the of the show is is about alliances and how how fragile they can be and about how you choose them Mm. and the complications of choosing them like we saw with with uh, rob and who he was betrothed to versus what his heart wanted and and the ramifications of that and there's so much of that right and it's like alliances matter and 
And that's um, something that and, Sansa and has, has learned. Yeah. And I don't know if, if I mean, certainly John has allied himself with the wildlings, but probably at the expense of a lot of other potential allies. Well, John was already, his alliance to the wall was broken when he made the alliance with the wildlings. That's right. And so then they killed him. And in order to come alive, he has some sort of a weird alliance with, um, with Melisandre. And in order to now survive this, he has some sort of a weird alliance. And so, yeah, so John, I mean, John truly is a bastard in almost every sense. Right. I mean, like not yeah. just in birth, but in, in every station that he's in, even mm-hmm. as a lead. And, and that's where his connection to the wildlings seems inevitable. Mm-hmm. Right. Because because they offer a solution. That that none of these other situations offer, which is you're free dude. do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be look, you, you, you choose who you ally with because that makes sense to you. And that's, and then you just live how you want to live. And like, I, and, and that, so like when you start thinking of rooting interest, it's like, cause even, even this, he didn't want to take Winterfell. Yeah, that's right. I mean, she convinced him that because of his, his alliance to the family that he was like, yeah, but you never really brought me to it. Right. Well, and I think that the Rickon thing kind of changed his mind. Mm-hmm. So you said that this spells the end of Tom and what do you mean by that? Uh, I'm just, if I'm looking at the trajectory of a show, I'm seeing um, a, a, a women in charge. We talked about the five kings, and it looks like we're shaping up more for queens. Mm, yeah. Um, because, you know, Danny obviously is now in a much better position. She's got dragon power, she's got Tyrion. And, and she's got Yara, right? And then Yara who wants to be, she wants to be the queen of the Iron Islands. And um, she's willing to even kind of change. I mean, she's obviously hot for Danny, but like she's, she's willing to sort of change their ways. You know, I'd rather be, you know, because, and also she can do that if she's in charge. So we're starting to see this flip on the, on the female power side. And then to the point of Winterfell, I'm like, well, this has to go to Sansa. Mm -hmm. I mean, on one hand, she's, She's either a Lannister or a Bolton, if you talk to, to Lady uh, Mormont. But at the end of the day, she's the only living Stark that we know of. Even if Arya is still alive, Sansa's older. So you're and thinking that at some point Cersei's got to become the power in... Either Cersei or Marjorie. I mean, it, right. and that's where it gets a little dicey, right? Because cause they are married, so... So if something happens to Tom and then Marjorie is in a position to be in charge and then she has sort of the Lady Olena, uh, House Tyrell sort of sure, power sure, brokers yeah. in the back. Or if something happens, then I guess Cersei could come back to, to Queen Regent. It gets a, that's, that part is the political side of it that I'm not quite sure. But so now if you huh. look at it, now you've got that's at least what that's that's four. Uh, it's four queens, essentially, that you would be now in play. I'm not sure what if Dorn is still an option or not, but you know, the, with the the killing of the, the oh yeah, so you could bring in Alaria too at some point, right? So I'm just looking at I'm looking at it from a, if you're looking at how sort of things are spinning, um, that's why I start to think oh the the Tommen days are numbered because this looks like it seems like it's shaping up that way, hmm. Hmm. and that might be more of just a, like looking at it from just a, a not necessarily. The, the most logical but in terms of the uh looking at it more of a cinematic universe sort of trajectory i guess mm-hmm. so there's a few things about this episode that 
I just think are noteworthy. So the battle scene where you're just kind of seeing all of these crazy random events happening to John all in succession. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't know if it's a single camera shot throughout, but it's um it's it's filmed as if as if it has that feeling of right. a single cam- camera shot where he's you know the 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 horses are clashing around him and the arrows are falling down and he's getting trampled and it's just like every 2 seconds something that should kill him happens right and he like narrowly av- avoids and just the feeling of him under that huge scrum oh man that was it just it just sense of being trampled or whatever that was that was so well done and uh, it's all right. So then they did this whole trash compactor move. Yeah. <laughs> this they I think that they stole this from uh, a move that Hannibal used to use, the Carthage versus Romans mm. uh, battle. So there's not a few. A- <laughs> no, not not that Hannibal or Hannibal Lecter. Although Tormund does at one point. Yeah. Hey, Hannibal Lecter's a guy's face. <laughs> bite someone's part of their face off or something yeah um that was i mean i had not seen that on screen anymore i guess at one point there's just this pile of dead bodies and it becomes this mountain of dead bodies it yeah affects the battle the way that they they create the circle and i guess that they borrowed that from some civil war uh, era stuff um anyway i mean that 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 whole battle was just it, it was just one hit after the next yeah and and you you know really and it creates some other questions about like like john it's like is he just is he good at this is he really a, a good fighter or is he is there some magic you know what i mean like does he have some some residual magic in him you know you don't you, so you just don't know cuz um we heard about the other resurrections that like it takes a toll on you, but he seems to be pretty good. He seems to be pretty, pretty good at what he's doing. Now, the first off that, that first scene where they go to parlay and Ramsey tries to do his Ramsey thing. Mm-hmm. And John just has this sort of quiet confidence. Come bastard. You don't have the men. You don't have the horses. And you don't have Winterfell. Why lead those poor souls into slaughter? There's no need for a battle. Get off your horse. Kneel. I'm a man of mercy. You're right. There's no need for a battle. Thousands of men don't need to die. Only one of us. Let's end this the old way. You against me. And he doesn't blink once. Doesn't blink once. And you get the sense that this guy, this guy has no fear of death and probably because he's been dead. Right. And there's, and what I've, and (laughs) the fact that he goes and he, and he says, don't bring me back. Mm -hmm. You, (laughs) it's such a fascinating thing because it's it's somebody who 
again, he's been there, he's been dead, and he's like, eh, I can handle it. <laughs> but there's also this sense of like, maybe that's where my freedom lies. Or yeah, maybe I'm not supposed to be here. I mean, right. And so, so when you when you behave as somebody who doesn't fear death, you 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 almost become indestructible. I think. That's and then kind of what we're the thing with Ramsey, where he sends Rick in out about halfway. And he intentionally misses a, the first couple of shots so Ramsey can get pretty far, or not uh, Rick can get pretty, yeah. pretty far. Just enough to lure John kind of mid midfield. Yeah, man. Heather the whole time was like, don't go further. <laughs> she was so. And then slow as soon as he's midfield, they shoot the arrows like over his head. So the only way to avoid him, avoid the arrows, is to run forward. Yeah. And it's just like, I mean, it's one of these things where it's like, that's pretty brilliant. And I don't think I've seen that done before. I was pretty happy with the way that I could understand John's motivations throughout mm-hmm. like him thinking, well, who am I if I just do nothing? Got to got to run, get my, you know, he gets really close to saving Rick on and then makes a couple decisions that are just like, well, I guess this is it for me. I'm just going to try to take a couple of these guys out. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, and then the scene that just gets me every time is when he, he climbs over the hill of dead bodies and his face is just covered with blood and mud. And he's got these kind of animal eyes. He's just got, he's just like got, laser beams of murder coming out of his eyes <laughs> and he spots ramsey and at that point it's like that he's not even human anymore yeah no, that's he true. is a killing machine so I, I mean i think all of i always kind of see john as something of a pretty boy or whatever but in that right. scene i just thought you don't want those eyes looking at you no, no, for sure. That was that was really well done. Um, you were it was very compelling. Um, when he goes in and just taking the arrows <laughs> and the shield, I could watch it, Tormund stab and scream all day long. <laughs> he's he's, real good he's the that. best at stabbing while screaming. <laughs> he goes in my sort of stabbing and screaming Mount Rushmore. <laughs> That's that's good. It was great. I mean, it was it was yeah. Like I said, I I just it, I was not sure about a few things. Um, the the Sansa thing, and you know maybe it'll it'll bear itself out. But that's kind of where I was just a little bit like. Well, let's talk a- about Sansa's interaction with Ramsey at the end. Hmm. Uh, I mean, something close to justice, or is this like pure revenge? Um, I think both, right? I mean, I, I, mean, I, I guess there's the poetic justice of him being eaten by his own dogs, right? Right. Um, the first time she gets some sort of like where she's she's in control of something, I guess, and she's not had the opportunity to get this kind of um, revenge or justice, or hasn't seen it play out. Um, well, yeah, she's never really, I mean, she never got any kind of closure with Joffrey, right? Right. She's blamed for it, but she didn't She didn't get to do it. Was it her idea to put him in with the dogs? I kind of um, get the sense that the way I read it was 
John was beating him to a bloody pulp. And then, like, he goes full, like, goodwill hunting on him. And then he stops short. Yeah. He, he looks at Sansa because he, he's thinking, uh, I'm going to let her finish him off. Mm-hmm. And to me, it seemed like, yeah, this is her idea. She's decided that she's going to let the dogs eat him. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I got. So that's a little bit, that's, I mean, that's, well, and maybe that's the... not like Arya cutting off a dude's face. Right. But, yeah. <laughs> but she, and she leaves with a smile. And, and that wasn't, I mean, it's interesting because that's the final scene. And I don't know if we're supposed to be like, yeah, you get it, girl. Or if there's, if there's something else that we're, if we've seen a switch, right? I mean, that's a, well, we've seen this before, like when she walked down the steps at the Erie mm-hmm. and she's got, you know, her new hairdo and you kind of, I kind of got the sense that like, this is a fully grown woman who can take care of herself. Mm-hmm. And then it was kind of like, eh, well, foundering a little bit. And then after this, it's like, no, you don't mess with her. Yeah. Well, yeah, and it's you know, and probably everybody smiles a little bit because I mean, Ramsey, Ramsey sucks. Um, so that's the other thing I was thinking too is like, okay, so I was like kind of doing like a a baddie checklist, like who's left, right? Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so we've lost Ramsey. Um, we've got, uh, I mean, Little Fingers, your low key baddie, right? I mean, he's he's out there running the show and for his own end. Cersei's of course bad. The High Septon is, or the High Sparrow's bad. Um, Euron is out there. Right? Euron is out there. Um, you know, and how does this all? How does and then, all... of course, the Ned King. Oh, that's right. And that's the thing that's always so so incredible about this show is that where you feel like maybe the number one thing, <laughs> the number one threat, is a thing that. Uh, the show does a pretty good job of making you forget the same way, like I said, I've talked about before, is that the same way that everyone gets preoccupied with all of the ins and outs of who's going to run what. Um, yeah. You forget the, the, the real threat that's out there. Yeah. The real, yeah. So the real threat is always sort of the last one you think of. It's like, Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And, and John is normally the one who's sort of super focused on that narrative. Right. Right. And but this episode, he's got designs on Winterfell. I I always wondered why they don't get one one like a big telephone pole or something. <laughs> because I like the idea that they have to invent the telephone in order to do this, but. <laughs> or something. I mean, give them a, like a big horse leg or something. <laughs> Just anything, anything he can swing around because. He's out there with his bare fists, which is fine. I mean, that's kind of cool. And at one point, he picks up a big shield or whatever. But I'm thinking, dude, this guy needs a telephone pole. Well, this is why I really, really uh, like what the showrunners did is that they go, look, we're going to we're going to kill Rickon. And we know exactly what he's worth. Uh, I'm going to spend a little more time on the death of one one. <laughs> <laughs> and Ramsey takes him out. Um well, that's the other thing about the that particular scene is that, you know, Ramsey's using every bit of sort of battle knowledge that is available to him. He's got no idea how to, to deal with a karate chop in 1-1. Right. 
know, it's like, uh, yeah, they can't get through our walls. Well, let me introduce you to 14 foot Bruce Lee, because <laughs> this guy is going to make mincemeat of your gait. I thought the score was amazing. I thought the music of the show is usually pretty great in particular, just the sound mixing, the score, the all of the themes were just brilliant for this episode. Yeah, that no, was great. Rickon gets to go sleep in the crypts now, unless he gets brought back. Yeah, that one, I mean, if I'm John, wouldn't I go to Mel and say, "Hey, um, bring back my brother Rickon"? No, he's got the he's got the focus group data. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so. I'm on the record of saying I really like this this episode, right? Oh, I just want to say one thing about the Mel thing. I think that that Mel interaction with uh, uh, with John is was real, real good because, man, she is just sort of she's just not the same Melisandre. <laughs> no, just sort of hanging in like, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll probably raise you back from the dead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably gonna do it. She's so just like she's got like a can of Pabst in her hand, and she's just like, "Yes, I just whatever." So, any predictions on episode ten? I think Tom and Tom and gets taken out. Oh, and Arya, Arya, yeah, Arya's yeah. head. I mean, everything is sort of heading in, sort of this you know main central battleground, right? Yeah, so so your 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 prediction is that Tommen gets killed by whom? I don't know. I don't know. Um, it ain't gonna be. Bad. It ain't. It ain't gonna be Cersei. It could be a collateral damage thing. Oh, I just think because I just like I said. I mean, I'm 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 kind of pushing all my chips in on. Uh, we're gonna see. This is a battle of queens at this point, and hmm. uh, and we're and I I don't. Like, you know, nine has to end, doesn't necessarily have to end with a death or a major death, but uh, that's kind of, they, they, something has to upset something. We've already, and so that's where I'm like, well, we've already seen Cersei in jail. Sort of the same way I feel about the Well, whole. sometimes they will end seasons, like setting up for the next season. Sure, sure, sure. But a, a Tom and death would certainly do that. Um, but that, like I said, if it's a result of like collateral damage, like if there's some sort of a, uh, an insurrection of some sort in King's Landing. I mm-hmm. mean, there's some something's gonna. I mean, I I don't know if we're getting setting up for a trial for next season or if we're setting up for a trial at the end because I feel like that becomes a thing. Well, I will say this without giving anything away. Watching this again made me think this is sort of the episode where they start to set things up for the final narrative arc. Right. So you can kind of see seeds planted for you know, sort of these final character arcs, these final clashes. Um, they And they're, they're not just thinking to next season. They're thinking at this point to season eight. Yeah, no, I, yeah. Uh, I'm, I, you know, this and so here we are headed at the end of, of season six. Season six has been great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, I'm on record saying that as, as uneven as five could be, I really actually liked five quite a bit. Um, so, so far I haven't really seen, I mean, five is probably the least just because it has the lowest points, uh, um, at times, um, all Dorn. Um, and, 
And so I'm headed into these next two seasons. I feel like I'm like, is this the time when I have to start buckling up for disappointment? Is it, is it, is it already, is this, is this, this is where I'm a little like, so, so the end of season six brings with it two different things. One is, Ooh, what's it going to be? And is this the last good hurrah? (laughs) There is a sense in which it's sort of like, maybe we should just end this now. (laughs) <laughs> well, I get a lot of credit for having stopped Dexter at the right time. Oh, is it, when did you stop Dexter? Uh, the, when the, tr- the last episode of the Trinity Killer uh, season. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So when he's holding the baby in sure. the blood. And I said, yeah. this should be the ending of the series. And then I stopped watching. And mm-hmm. I was right, apparently. <laughs> well, I stopped watching Mad Men at the end of season one. <laughs> So, and I thought it was pretty great. I thought it was a great, pretty great season one. I did watch all of Lost, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I tried rewatching you Lost again, by the way. And because uh, I was like, well, what if I just rewatch it, knowing where it's going, and mm-hmm. maybe I can look, I can look for little Easter eggs, and maybe I'll enjoy things a lot further. No, because it was it became a trudge because I knew where we were going. Yeah, so I stopped. No, because they had no idea what they were doing. Right. Then you realize, oh, this is a jazz odyssey. Um, so, all right. So that's right. In many ways, I think that you could see this as probably the, the, maybe not the climax of Game of Thrones, quality Game of Thrones, but at least the one with that worked the best. And maybe that's, maybe that's unfair to say because of my bias, because I just think this is the best episode. Um, but I do feel like when I look back at Game of Thrones, I generally don't think about how much I hated season eight. I generally think about how much I loved, you know, seasons one, four, and six. Okay. Um, Not to say that there weren't really fantastic moments in those seven and eight, but I do feel like this is something of a high point for me. Okay. Now I've seen mixed. So we're gonna stop you. You and I, we're not gonna cover anymore. We're gonna instead do a rewatch of Tiger King together. Okay, makes sense. And um, and then once we're done with Tiger King, we'll figure out whether or not we. Want... <laughs> <laughs> After we do Tiger King, we'll figure out whether we want to come back to Boobs and Dragons. I, no, I hear you. Uh, all right. <clears throat> I don't feel like maybe we talked a lot about Danny's situation. I I thought that the, I mean, one of the things that I love about Game of Thrones is the dragon freakout. Yeah, like someone who's not expecting a dragon gets to see a dragon, and they freak out. Like I could watch that all day long. And again, Tyrion seeing a dragon never is never dull. So, the fact that you know, sort of that reversal where Danny looks like she's in a weak position and then she says actually my reign is just beginning and Drogon gives that little familiar screech yeah and comes <laughs> comes up over and just lands next to her like like a trained you know doberman yeah and uh and then she burns a ship which I don't condone that every ship is a ship worth saving yes that's right uh but that i mean that was such such an effective scene you got to see part of what made this episode fantastic is that you got to see Tyrion 
talk Danny off of her original inclination to burn burn everything down. Right. And say, actually, this is where I become useful to you because I'm kind of clever. And I think that we can get out of this without burning everyone down. You becoming a psychopath and we can actually get some ships at the end of this. Right. And it so you kind of get to see Tyrion be brilliant. And you get to see Dragon freak out at the same time. Right. And then you get to see how they can work together, right? Like there's yeah, yeah, yeah. power and, and, and brains. It's great. And uh, Grey Worm is not, he's just not great at anything, but give that guy a knife and he's going to do some. Yeah, work. that was pretty wild. He's going to do some work, man. So that was. So this is, this is how effective this show is. When the Dothraki come racing in, yeah. I go, oh, yeah, Dario's back. I don't know how I don't know how the show did it. <laughs> well, I don't know if you know this, but in season seven, they bring back Goofy Dario. Oh my god, that would be the best. <laughs> I would I would love it. I would love that they bring him back and say nothing about it. I would love that they bring if there's two Darios side by side. <laughs> and we're just, just and they're, like, they're just looking at each other thinking, who are you? Or every other scene the Dario changes. <laughs> discover why critics are calling kingdom of the planet of the apes the best film of the franchise what a wonderful day it's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible i need to go hang on it is our time Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. For this week's Bird's Eye View, I'm going to suggest that the Battle of the Bastards, a masterpiece, I think, in its own right, will also give us a couple keys and clues to solving the problem of how the series ends. You may or may not remember back when the show was airing, there would be these inside the episode featurettes that would air after the episode on HBO. And after the season finale, when interviewed, Weiss and Benioff basically said that Danny snaps. Now, this was not satisfying, I think, to a lot of viewers. And I think that there are multiple reasons why that is the case. But I will say this. I think that they laid sufficient groundwork for that to happen. And I think some of the groundwork that was laid happens in this episode. So remember the phrase that she snaps. Now listen to Benioff talk about Jon Snow's character in the Battle of the Bastards. He's deeply good human being but he push anyone beyond their limits and they snap so i think we have an interesting targaryen parallel here between john and danny in addition to that 
Listen to Sapochnik talk about his direction of Kit Harrington before the scene. The only direction I gave to Kit was he's not a human anymore. He doesn't feel any empathy for this guy. Now, I had a lot of the same problems that a lot of you did with the ending of the HBO adaptation, but I'm also interested to know why the showrunners made the choices that they did and why they thought that those were appropriate choices. Despite appearances, I think you'll find the cities on the rise. Perhaps we should take shelter. The cities on the rise? Marine is strong. Commerce has returned to the markets. The people are behind you. Well, not all the people, of course. No ruler that ever lived had the support of all the people. But the rebirth of Marine is the cause of this violence. The masters cannot let Marine succeed. Because if Marine succeeds, a city without slavery, a city without masters, it proves that no one needs a master. Good. Shall we begin? Do we have a plan? I will crucify the masters. I will set their fleets afire. Kill every last one of their soldiers and return their cities to the dirt. That is my plan. You don't approve. You once told me you knew what your father was. Did you know his plans for King's Landing when Lannister armies were at his gates? Probably not. Well, he told my brother, and Jamie told me. He had caches of wildfire hidden under the Red Keep. The Guild Halls, the Scepter Baylor, all the major thoroughfares. He would have burned every one of his citizens, the loyal ones and the traitors. Every man, woman, and child. That's why Jamie killed this him. This is entirely different. You're talking about destroying cities. It's not entirely different. Like to suggest an alternate approach. Now listen to this commentary related to Danny's character after Battle of the Bastards. I think Danny's been becoming a Targaryen ever since the end of season one. She's not her father and she's not insane and she's not a sadist, but there's a Targaryen ruthlessness that comes with even the good Targaryens. So here's what I think. I think that after this episode, the showrunners thought that they had sufficiently laid the groundwork for Danny to go full dragon and embrace her Targaryen side. And that is all for this week.